0: Welcome to Spiritual Gold, the teaching ministry of Dr. Richard L. Strauss. I'm Dr. Mark Strauss, and these podcasts represent the faithful exposition of God's Word by my father through his 21-year ministry at Emmanuel Faith Community Church. Our prayer is that through these messages, you would be encouraged and equipped in your walk with the Lord. Little boys love to imitate their fathers. They like to do what their daddies do. They like to wear their daddy's clothes. I can remember when I was a little kid. I really can't remember when I was a little kid. I used to go into my parents' bedroom. And there was a pair of boots in there that my dad wore. And I used to put those boots on and they came up, you know, about to my hips. They were probably uh, not quite supposed to come to the knees. They came to my hips. And I'd parade around the house in those boots in my father's shoes. I wanted to be like him when I was a little guy. Little children like to be like their dads. Did you know that is exactly what our Heavenly Father commands us to do? He says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 1, Be ye therefore imitators of God as dear children. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior from sin, you are God's dear child. God, our Father, wants us to imitate Him. Wants us to be like Him. Paul's not the first one to tell us this. This was revealed all the way back in the Old Testament, in the law, Leviticus, chapter 19, verse 1. The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. God wants us to imitate Him, particularly in this area of holiness. Now someday we're going to be like Him. We are predestined, according to Romans 8, 29, to be conformed to the image of His Son. Of course, His Son embodies all the holiness that God the Father is. And someday we're going to be just like Him. That is our destiny as believers. Nothing can stop it from happening. We will be like the Lord Jesus, God the Son. Meanwhile, God wants us to imitate Him as dear children. Now last Sunday evening we talked about what it meant to imitate God in relationship to one another as believers. And that's summed up in Ephesians 5 two. It's talked about in chapter 4, but it's summarized in chapter 5 and verse 2. Walk in love even as Christ also loved us and had given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. The summary of our relationship with each other, if we are imitators of God, is that we walk in love, that we genuinely love one another. But that is not the only aspect of our imitation of God. We are not only to imitate God in our relationship with one another, but also in our relationship to the world. You see, when God saved us, He did not take us out of this world. John chapter 17 has a good deal to say about that. The Lord Jesus said, I pray not for them that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. John 17 and verse 15. They are not of this world, even as I am not of this world, Jesus said. I'm not praying that you should be, that they should be removed out of the world. They're supposed to be in the world. Some people have that all confused. They think the epitome of, of Christian separation is to be totally separated from the world. To live someplace in a monastery or on a hillside like a hermit and be isolated from everybody. No, God never intended that to be. The Lord Jesus never asked the Father to take us out of the world. We are in the world but not of the world. That's not a cliché. That is a biblical truth. Jesus said we are to be in the world and yet John 17:16 we are not to partake of the character of the world. And that's essentially what Paul's going to teach us in Ephesians chapter 5 verses 3 to 14. What is our relationship to the world? It is that we are to walk in light. And a walk in light involves three basic principles. In verses 3 to 6 of Ephesians 5, it is a separation from sin. In verses 7 to 10 of Ephesians 5, it is a disassociation from sinners in their sin. Not separating ourselves from them entirely, but dissociating ourselves from them in their sin. And in verses 11 to 14, it's an exposure of their sinfulness. And that's what it means to walk in light. Now, let's look at those three principles. A believer's life is to be a walk in light. You see, when we get down to verse 11, it says, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness. The unbeliever walks in darkness. But verse 8, you were once darkness, like other unbelievers, but now are you light in the Lord? Walk as children of light. And there's another characteristic of the believer's walk. It's in love. It's in light. First of all, it's a separation from sin. An absolute total break with sin. That's the way God wants it to be. Now, living in sin is the norm for the people of the world. It's not disparaged by the people of the world. It's not unusual in any way. It's accepted. That's the way people live. Sin being anything that's contrary to the word and will of God. But God wants the Christian to break clean with sin. He says in verse 3, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not once be named among you as becometh or as is fitting for saints. Paul mentions three sins particularly in this verse when he tells us to separate ourselves from sin. Number one, he talks about fornication. We've talked about it before. I'm of the opinion after studying this word, the Greek word is porneia, from which we get our English word pornography. It means any illicit sexual activity. It could mean extramarital sex. It could be premarital sex. It could be homosexuality. It could be bestiality, which is uh, sexual relations with an, a lower animal. That's all considered to be fornication. And God says, let it not once be named among you. I suggest to you, dear Christians, we've come a long way from that. But it's still the Word of God. And that's the way God wants us as believers to live. This is the will of God, Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, that you abstain from fornication. You want to know God's will for your life? Most everybody does. Surveys say it's one of the most popular questions asked by Christians. How can I know the will of God? God says His will is to abstain from any illicit sexual activity. Let it not once be named among you. Fornication. Uncleanness is the second word. That goes beyond the act to any form of sensuality, even that which occurs in the mind. Why, I wonder what God has to look at in the mind screens of some believers. I can't see what's on the screen of your mind and you can't see what's on mine. But God has to look at it. He can turn away from it. He doesn't look on sin, but it's there. It's available to His view. Sensuality. I guess it's just as bad in the minds as it is in the deeds by God's standard. And then covetousness. Greed. Desire to have more. Particularly, a desire to have what others have. Lust for acquiring more. In this particular list, Paul may have had in mind sexual or sensual lust. Having what someone else has in that sense of the term. But it probably goes beyond that to mean any kind of greed for more. It's interesting that Paul puts fornication and covetousness in the same sentence. They really are related. Both terms refer to satisfying our appetites by taking from somebody else whether it's sexually or whether it's some other material thing we take or desire to have god says it's sin i guess these two words fornication and covetousness would be summed up in two of those descriptions of sin as john describes sin in 1 john 2:16 the lust of the flesh would be fornication and the lust of the eyes would in all probability be covetousness. Now Paul says don't do it. Make a clean break with it. But more than that, he says, let it not once be named among you. That may mean one of either either of two things. It may mean, as some translations render it, let there not even be a hint of these things among you. Or it may mean don't let these things be talked about in your midst. Of course, that doesn't mean don't ever refer to them. Paul referred to them. He mentioned them right there in front of you in the Word of God. Those words are there. And we need to say something about them to expose them as sin and to warn God's people of the awful consequences of it. They need People need to know that these sins ruin human lives and destroy human societies. We need to be warned about them and obviously we need to talk about them to warn people. But we shouldn't ever talk about them as an acceptable course of action as some Christians are even beginning to do. Professing Christians are saying what the secular sociologists say. Well, you've got to try it out before marriage and to see if you're compatible. God says, let it not even be thought about among God's people. Nor lingered on. Nor dwelled upon. Nor gloried in. Sometimes people who have been saved out of deep sin stand up to give their testimonies and they go into all the lurid details of their awful past. People are sitting there almost panting with their tongues hanging out, you know, sinning vicariously, listening to all the garbage that's being spoken in the name of a testimony. I don't think that's honoring to the Lord. I read about a youth pastor decided he needed to read all that his young people were reading so he knew how to deal with it. And he filled his mind with so much garbage from the world that ultimately he fell into deep sin and his ministry was destroyed. That's the kind of thing the Apostle Paul is talking about. Don't dwell on it. Don't glory in it. Some Christians like to get together for confession meetings and tell each other all their lurid past and and their sin. The only time we need to confess sins to one another, folks, is when we've wronged somebody else by that sin. Then we need to get it right with them and seek their forgiveness. God doesn't want us to dwell on sin. He wants us to dwell on the Savior. It may be the idea that Paul repeats and emphasizes in verse 12. Look down there. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. Don't dwell on sin. Dwell on the Savior. Look at other sins that are mentioned in verse 4. Neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Filthiness. Now these, incidentally, are all sins of the mouth. The filthiness is indecent, obscene, shame in speech, or in conduct for that matter, but particularly it has to do with our speech. Foolish talking. The idea of speech that's foreign to our goals as believers in growing in the Lord. It's uh, language and talk that that accomplishes no good purpose silliness it's non-edifying talk may not necessarily be sinful but at least it makes no profitable contribution doesn't rule out all uh idle chit chat you know where we get together and say how are you fine you know weather. what do you think of the weather you know who you going to vote for you know that kind of thing it doesn't rule all that out we need to talk to each other on that level. We need to go beyond that level, but we need to talk on that level. It's talking about the kind of speech that, that really hinders our growth in the Lord. Things that are just not fitting for a believer to be talking about. Things that come out of our mouth that don't make any profitable contribution to our lives whatsoever. It doesn't help us to get to know each other better except to get to know the fact that we're sinful beings and that doesn't honor the Lord. The third one in this verse is jesting, <clears throat> which is not fitting. Unfitting jesting. Uh, the Bible commentators tell us that the word has the idea of of wit. Jokes that have a hidden meaning. Some people are very quick-witted. But if you listen carefully to their wit, usually they're saying things that have a double meaning. You know, the i don't mean to be unkind but it's true the bob hope kind of a joke you know that has two meanings to it and one of them is usually a little bit uh sensual something off color not in good taste for believers that's out of place god says that's something that ought not to come out of the mouths of christians And the way to keep it from coming out of our mouths is to keep talking about the Lord, to fix our minds on Him, and so talk about Him, to praise God, to let our speech and our conversation be filled with glory to God. That's what he says. Not filthiness or foolish talking or jesting which isn't fitting, but rather giving thanks to God. These kinds of things that Paul's mentioned in verses 3 and 4 are common things to unbelievers. But it is the characteristic of unbelievers. And that's one of the reasons we ought to avoid them. See it, verse 5. For this you know that no fornicator, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater incidentally, because he puts things ahead of God, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. That doesn't mean that anybody who's ever done any of these things can't possibly enter heaven. It simply means that when people go on doing these things, it's revealing because these are things that characterize the lives of unbelievers. And if this is the way we live and this is the habit patterns that we've formed and we just keep on doing these things, then we are casting doubts on whether we really know Jesus Christ as Savior from sin. This is the characterization of the world. We need to make a break with sin because sin is the of of the unbeliever and we don't want to be put in his category do we there's another reason we need to make a break with sin in verse 6 let no man deceive you with vain words for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the sons of disobedience God hates sin if we love God how can we consciously go on doing willfully go on doing what God hates that doesn't fit together it doesn't make sense Evidently, there were some people in Paul's day who were saying to professing believers, you know Christ, now you can do what you please. The old Romans 6 heresy, let us sin more so that God's grace can abound. No, says Paul. Don't let anybody deceive you with that kind of talk. That's false doctrine. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. We need to separate ourselves from sin. In verse 7, Paul sums up what he's been saying in verses 3 to 6. and kind of gets us into a new train of thought. Let's call it a dissociation from sinners. Verses 7 to 10. He says, Be not ye therefore partakers with them. Fellow sharers. Is what the word partakers means. It doesn't mean we can't have anything to do with unbelievers. But don't be sharers in their sin. Don't cast your lot with them. Don't identify yourself with them in wrongdoing. If they're moving in a direction that's obviously headed for sin, don't go with them. Don't take your stand with them. Well, it doesn't mean never talk to unbelievers. How are we going to win them to Christ we don't talk to them? We need to talk to them. We need to love them. God loves them. We need to express that love to them in tangible ways. We need to offer to help them. We need to be friendly to them. We need to seek to minister to their needs. But we don't need to be partakers in their sin. We don't want to identify ourselves with them in wrongdoing. We need to share with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And only as we establish a relationship and a friendship will they be open to our witness. But it comes short of sharing in their sin. Why? 4, verse 8, you were once darkness, but now are you light in the Lord. Therefore, walk as children of light. You were once darkness. Darkness in the Bible refers basically to two things, ignorance and evil. And God says you were once darkness. Not you just walked in darkness, like you had a blindfold on, didn't know where you were going. You were darkness. That was our substance and our essence as unbelievers. That's what an unbeliever is. He is darkness. Now, unbelievers don't like to hear that. Sounds like we're being unkind and condemning them. It's not that we're being unkind. We're simply sharing what the Word of God says. And it isn't a happy thought to be called darkness but this is why the unbeliever doesn't understand spiritual truth that's why the gospel is something that he oftentimes hears and rejects he doesn't want to have any part of it because God says he is he is darkness he doesn't even know there there is such a thing as light and he can't identify it if he saw it I read an allegory about about the, the a cave and the sunshine a cave lived its whole life in darkness. Heard a voice one day, said, come out into the sun and see the light. And he said, light? What's light? There is no such thing as light. There is only darkness. That's the unbeliever. You see, he can't recognize light. He doesn't even know there is light. But finally the cave came out and all of a sudden he was illuminated with light and it was amazing to him. So he said to the sun, Come into the cave and see darkness. And the sun said, Darkness? What's darkness? So he came into the cave to see darkness. And there was no darkness because the cave became light. The sun can't dwell in darkness. Wherever the sun is, there is light. And that's what Paul is saying. Now that we've trusted Jesus Christ as Savior from sin, we are no longer darkness. We are now light. And where we go should reflect and radiate the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. That's pretty much what the Lord Jesus taught back in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, You are the light of the world. We are now reflectors of God's light. And as the light of the world, he says in verse 16, now let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You are light, now let it shine, Jesus said. That's what Paul's saying, very same truth. You were once darkness, now you are light in the Lord. Your light is His light. Now walk as children of light. Let that light shine. Let people see it. Let it be known. What does that mean? What does it mean to walk in light? Well, look at verse 9 and it's described for us. For the fruit of light, the best manuscripts read. King James says the fruit of the Spirit. But there are better manuscripts that put light there and it follows the train through. I think it's probably the preferred reading. For the fruit of the light is goodness, righteousness, and truth. There it is. That's what light is. Goodness. Moral excellence. Purity. Love in action. Goodness. Righteousness. That's an undeviating adherence to what is right. And truth. That's a lack of inward sham and hypocrisy. The absence of dishonesty. It's conformity to God's Word and God's will. The truth of God. That's light, you see. And we need to walk in the light. And when we're walking in the light, the darkness can't overcome it. Because darkness can't exist where light is. It exposes and reveals and manifests what's there. It makes light. It brings everything into visibility. Jesus was light. He said, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 1, in Him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shone in the darkness and the darkness could not overcome it. There's no way darkness can overcome light. Where light is, there is no darkness. Now we are light in the Lord. Let's let that light shine. Not cloud it with the fog and smog of sin, but let it let it shine. John talks about the same thing over in 1 John chapter 1. Passage you know well. This then is the message, verse 5. 1 John 1, 5. This then is the message that we've heard of Him. Declare unto you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we know the Lord, then we're going to be walking in the light. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, then we have fellowship one with another in the blood of Jesus Christ His Son, keeps on cleansing us from all sin. We need to walk in the light since we're children of light. And I think that's referring to victory over sin, obedience to God's word. That's what it means to walk in the light. How can we be sure we're walking in the light? Verse 10, proving what is acceptable or well-pleasing unto the Lord. Shades of Romans 12 too, isn't it? Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The word prove means to test with a view to approving. We as believers can know the will of God. And we need to be asking ourselves daily, is this pleasing to the Lord? When we're walking in the light, and evaluating our lives in the light of the Word, we'll be able to say, This is pleasing to the Lord. We will be testing with a view to approving what is well pleasing unto the Lord. I wonder if our lives are well pleasing to Him. I wonder if we're measuring our lives daily by the standard of the Word. Are we asking ourselves this question daily Is my life today pleasing to the Lord? When we're walking as children of light, the answer will be yes. We will be proving what is well-pleasing to the Lord. A separation from sin, verses 3 to 6. A disassociation or dissociation from sinners, verses 7 to 10. But in verses 11 to 14, the third principle of walking in the light is that there is an exposure of sinfulness. It says in verse 11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. King James says reprove, but I think in this context, the word basically means to expose. That's what light does to sin. It exposes it. You can't bring a light into a dark room without seeing what's there. And when we live, And walk as children of light exposes the sinfulness in the world around us. Because light exposes sin. Just as physical light exposes impurities. Dirt. You ladies ever wash a white shirt or white blouse? Think it was clean and then wear it out into the sunshine and look at it and realize, oh boy, it's not clean after all. You may never polish a car in the garage and then drive it outside in the sunshine and look at all the spots you missed. All the impurities in your work. Because the light of the sun exposes the impurities, you see. Just so the light of the believer who's walking with God is going to expose the sin of the unbeliever around him. We don't need to be condemning everybody. We don't need to be preaching against the unbeliever's sin to his face all the time putting him down, telling him he's wrong. We don't need to be dwelling on his sin. Verse 12, right here in this context, Paul says it again. It's a shame even to speak of those things that are done of them in secret. But all things are exposed and made manifest by the light. We're walking in the light, we're going to expose His darkness, you see. Verse 13, when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. One translation says, For anything that becomes visible is light. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean that because you're walking in the light exposing sin, those sinners are going to become light. Simply, their sin is going to be illuminated by your godliness. You don't have to flaunt it. You don't have to live a holier than life, a holier than thou kind of life and look down on them. In fact, that destroys the whole thing. All you need to do is, in love and graciousness and kindness, just keep. Living as the Word of God tells you. It's going to expose their darkness. And in some cases, God's going to use it to bring them into the light. That that could be one implication of, of this verse. When anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible, it's light. Maybe God will make them light. Their lives will be transformed. They'll come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Through Christ's light shining in your life. Well, Paul summarizes this whole section on walking in light by saying in verse 14, Wherefore he saith. That means there's a quotation coming up Awake, thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. Now, that's obviously a quotation. Not everybody knows, not anybody really knows for sure where it's from. There are several passages in Isaiah that are similar to this, not any that are word for word. Some feel that it's a quotation from an early Christian hymn. We don't know where it comes from. But in this context, it seems to be talking to believers, basically. God's telling believers to wake up. A lot of believers that are sound asleep. Maybe some sound asleep here tonight, I don't know. But there are some believers, spiritually speaking, who are sound asleep. I mean, They're just living their lives, multiplying their material goods. Living like the world lives oblivious to the fact that people are dying without Jesus Christ. Sometimes they get so involved in the things of the world that their light seems to be fogged. They're not walking as children of light. God says, wake up! You who are asleep, you who are spiritually dead. That doesn't mean dead in trespasses and sin as Ephesians 2 points out in all probability. just means a, a deadness and a coldness. Could even be a dead orthodoxy. Yes, you know the Lord, but He's not real and vital in your life. You're not living for Him. You're not talking about Him. The kind of thing Paul talks about, I think, back in Romans 13. We're about ready to wrap it up. Would you look at Romans 13, verse 11? He says in that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. It's just as true today as it was when Paul wrote to the Romans. Our salvation, our ultimate entrance into the presence of God is closer today than it was the day we believed. So we need to wake up, get busy. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let's put aside these sins. Let's not let them even, let there not even be a hint of them among us as believers. Let's walk as children of light. Jesus is coming soon. We need to take advantage of the time. He said the same thing to the Thessalonians over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5. He said, 1 Thessalonians 5.5 5, You are all the sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of the darkness. Let us therefore not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober-minded. doesn't mean you can't go to bed at night if you're a Christian. But it means that spiritually speaking we ought to be alert, alive, awake, sensitive to every opportunity to let our light shine before men not flaunt our professed piety, but let the light of Jesus Christ shine through us in all love and graciousness and kindness and meekness. I found it interesting when I was getting ready for tonight how the, this morning's message and tonight's seem to tie together. It's letting our light shine. So that unbelievers may see the light of Jesus Christ in our lives. And that has to be done in meekness. But there's an application for the unbeliever here. In a very real sense, the unbeliever is in darkness and is dead in trespasses and sins. I know it's not a pretty thought. It doesn't sound very nice. But it's what the eternal, infallible, inspired Word of God says. And if you're with us tonight without a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. You've never acknowledged your sin and believe that Christ died in your place and paid for that sin. We urge you to acknowledge that sin tonight. To agree with God about what He says of your life. And that is that we're all sinners. And to believe that He is the light. He's the one who died for our sins to bring us out of that spiritual darkness and make us light in Him. Will you trust Him as your Savior? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've done a great work in our lives, that you've made us children of light. Now, God, help us to walk as children of light. You've made us light in the Lord. Now, help us to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father who is in heaven. For us in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message by Dr. Richard L. Strauss. Copyright 2021, Spiritual Gold, Inc., all rights reserved. For more on this ministry and for additional resources, be sure to visit spiritualgold.org.